Greetings to you all. As usual, it's such a privilege to be able to share the word with you. And we're continuing in our series, Personal Mastery God's Way. And we're looking at part three, where I'm exploring managing your time, how you use your time. And I believe that this is one of the things that successful people do differently. Successful people use their time differently. If we look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 17, I'm reading from the New King James. It says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In the NIV, it reads, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I believe this is such a powerful passage of scripture. And by implication, understanding what God's will is involves understanding purpose. So in essence, it's more accurate to talk about purpose management than time management, because technically speaking, you can't really manage time. But what you're really managing is your purpose. You see, redeem your time means to reclaim, to recover, to retrieve, to rescue and regain it again. Right. That's what it speaks of. And Elizabeth George, speaking of how we have to make the most of our time, says we cannot manage time. We can only manage ourselves. And in essence, that's what I'm going to be talking about today. You know, people often ask me about my productivity and they say, Paul, do you ever sleep? Paul, how do you manage to do all the things you do? Right. Uh, and my answer is, yes, I do sleep very well. I also tell them that the key to my productivity is my use of time. And I go on to say that we've all been given 24 hours a day, regardless of who you are, whether you're Barack Obama, Donald Trump, um, Julius Malema, uh, Jacob Zuma, whoever you are, we've all been given 24 hours in a day. The difference between us is how we use that time. And you see, many of us are very good at keeping appointments with others. Very good. You know, so I'll say to you, oh, I can't meet with you. I've got a meeting with Pastor Michael, right? We're very good at keeping appointments with others. Few of us are good at keeping appointments with ourselves. And I believe that when we, when we are able to practice self-respect by keeping appointments with ourselves, then we are on our way to our next level of a highly productive life. You see, and this will end up being seen in all aspects of your life, including your rules of engagement when it comes to social gatherings. And let me give you an example. You know, uh, I found that often people will go and they'll spend time. It could be with family and friends and so on. And, and they'll spend many hours and sometimes it's with people they don't even like. And then come Monday at work, they're tired. And then they say to themselves, how was yesterday? And they can't really account for it. Did you have any quality conversations? No, right? Very often when I visit people, when we go to gatherings and so on, if I'm with my wife in the car, we'll actually look at each other and we'll agree and we'll say, what time do we need to leave? And we might say something like, okay, 3 p.m. And we know we'll give, us, we'll give each other the look at 3 p.m., right? When it's time to go. 
I also pre-decide before I go to functions. I'll often pre-decide who do I want to engage with? Who do I want to have quality conversations with? Who do I want to have an appointment with? And then I become very intentional about having quality conversations with specific people. Sometimes it could even be with a child. I remember the one time at a family gathering, my little nephew was still very young and I just wanted to relieve my uh, sister-in-law and my brother-in-law. And I just took him and I spent time praying and I was just walking around with him, walking around with him. I think the parents were blessed. I was putting him down to sleep and he ended up sleeping. So I think he was blessed. I was blessed because it was a time of prayer for me. And sometimes that can be your appointment. What I found with many people, they go to these gatherings and there's always that one person who leaves first. And what's interesting is they always have to have an excuse. They can't just say, hey, it's been real. I'm off now. Thank you so much. Right? They'll say something like, oh, I need to fetch my son from uh, soccer practice or something. Right, And the moment this person announces this, everyone else then says, oh, ooh, have I parked you in? Have I parked you in? And then I think it's time for me to go too. And the question I always have is at what point did all these people want to leave? Okay, that's an interesting one. And why couldn't they leave? Right. Um, <clears throat> so I will pre-decide how long I'm going to spend and sometimes I'll leave and I won't necessarily have to have an excuse. I can say, thank you so much. It's been real. And there I am. I've gone back home. I might be editing my next book or doing something productive. But then I feel like, yes, that was a well-spent afternoon. I want to encourage you to respect yourself, to keep appointments with yourself. You see, it's easy for me to say, sorry, I can't meet you right now. I've got a meeting with Pastor Michael, right? But is it as easy for me to say, sorry, I can't meet you on Saturday morning because at the moment I'm a bit peopled out and I'm actually reading a particular book that's important to me for this next season of my life. Okay, but let's have a discussion maybe telephonically in the new week. Right. People struggle with that. And people will say things like, oh, yeah, but in my culture, oh, yeah, but people might think this of me or think that of me. And then we end up living these average lives. But I want you to know, you, do you give to every single person who asks you for something? No, you don't. You're not able to because you've got limited resources, right? So why do we do that with our time? Why is it that when it comes to our use of time, we feel this pressure to give it to everyone? It's so important for us to be mission-minded and to guard our time. Time is more precious than money. So we need to guard it. And as we consider the importance of time management, I really want to give you some tools that will enable you to master your management of time. It's necessary to actually answer the question, do you really want to live out God's plan? Does your tombstone read, died at 21, buried at 70? In other words, are you living or are you just existing? Think about that. You see, we cannot separate the discussion of time management from the discussion of purpose management. And there's a well-known story that illustrates this. A lighthouse keeper who worked on a rocky stretch of coastline received his new supply of oil once a month to keep the light burning. Not being far from shore, he had frequent guests. One night, a woman from the village begged him for some oil to keep her family warm. Another time, a father asked for some oil for his lamp to light his way back home. Another friend needed some oil to lubricate a squeaky wheel. 
Since all the requests seemed legitimate, the lighthouse keeper tried to please everyone and to grant all the requests that came across his path. By the end of the month, he noticed that his supply of oil was very low. Soon it was all gone and the beacon went out. That night, several ships were wrecked and lives were lost. When the authorities investigated, the lighthouse keeper was very repentant. To his excuses and pleading, their reply was, you were given oil for one purpose, to keep the light burning. You've been given enough oil for a 24-hour day to fulfill God's purpose in your life. How much oil are you giving away to others trying to please them? If you don't focus on your priorities and use your oil wisely, guess what? You may run out before you've completed your assigned tasks. It may be the difference between life and death for those divine appointments God has for you. So what's the nature of time? Let's just explore that a bit. First thing to know is that time is an unseen force. It's an unseen force. We can't see it. And sometimes the things we can't see, the things that are not tangible, we end up not valuing. The second thing is that time is an equally distributed resource to everyone. Right? No one has an unfair advantage when it comes to time. There's no one out there who has 48 hours in a day. Remember I said to you earlier on, the difference between us is how we use that time. Next thing I want to say is that time is constant. Time is constant. We sometimes don't feel like it's constant. Sometimes we feel like, oh, the time went quickly. Oh, time went slowly. But it's actually constant. Next, our perception of time differs. And that's where the difference is. Sometimes we don't feel like we have enough of it. And sometimes we feel bored and have to kill time. One of the things the Lord challenged me on, I was traveling to watch uh, Samuel play cricket years ago, and I was with Daniel in the car, and Daniel was talking so much, and we're traveling from Centurion to Johannesburg, so it was a good 40 minutes or so to get to our destination. And what was interesting was he was talking so much, it was becoming irritating. Sometimes I didn't know, is Daniel talking to himself? Is he talking to me? And the Lord challenged me and said, Paul, you can decide are you going to kill time with Daniel? Are you going to just spend time with Daniel? Or are you going to invest time into Daniel? I needed to be investing time into him. And I realized I needed to be grateful that here I have undivided time with Daniel, right? For the next 40 minutes or so. So I made a decision that I'm going to invest that time into his life. And then next, we often give power to it. We often give power to time, don't we? Power that it doesn't actually have. You hear people saying things like, yeah, but with time, you know, uh, time will heal all wounds. No, time doesn't heal all wounds. It depends what you do with that time. Some people become more bitter as time goes by. Other people become better. But what do you do with that time? Time is only as valuable as you make use of it. And the next thing I want to say is that there are two major ways to look at time. The first is what we call CTM, and that's conventional time management, right? This consists of scheduling activities. It's to do with what you do, right? At 10 o'clock I did this, 12 o'clock I did that. The second is a type of time management we don't talk about a lot, and that's ITM, and that's inner time management. And this actually consists of monitoring your energy levels 
determining how you prioritize activities, right, based on your current energy levels. So in other words, it's how you feel when you're doing what you do. See, many of us do things at the wrong time of day. We do intellectually taxing work, but at 3 p.m., for example, you know, where supper is way ahead there and lunch is way back there and we've got nothing to snack on. I learned the hard way. I used to stay up working on certain things, feeling like I, I don't deserve to sleep until I finish this. But it was taking me a lot of time to do that particular work. And I'll start nodding off, falling asleep, falling asleep and so on. And my wife at some point said to me, why don't you go to bed earlier and then wake up earlier? You'll be more productive later on. And she was right. Right. Things that would take me maybe three hours to do in the evening were now taking me half the time or so in the morning. Right. So we have to learn how to do things at the right time of day. I also encourage you in terms of inner time management to do emotional logs on yourself. What do I mean by an emotional log? This is where you say at 8 a.m. this is how I was feeling and this is the activity I was doing. 9 a.m. this is how I was feeling. This is the activity I was doing. And you do that for a couple of weeks just to get a sense of patterns, right, with regards to your emotional state. Then you realize that life is actually lived in moments, right? Here you are saying, Paul, my job is draining. And I'm saying to you, your job isn't draining. You have draining moments at work. Paul, my job is stressful. you Job is not stressful. You have stressful moments at work. And after some time, you realize, oh, I actually had a good day. It's just that at 4 p.m., I felt drained because I had that meeting with that guy who was very monotonous and um, takes a long time to communicate what he wants to communicate. So a half-hour meeting ends up becoming a three-hour meeting. It was at that point that I felt drained. And then you can identify, oh, this is it, right? Oh, I actually had a great two weeks. Why is that? Oh, those two guys are away on sick leave. Right? You start realizing that, oh, my emotional state is being affected by very specific things. And here you were, you're about to quit your job because you're saying my job is draining. But your emotional state is linked to specific moments. And that's inner time management. And we need to understand what our le energy levels are to actually feel what our bodies are telling us from time to time. Okay, uh, so life is lived in moments what I've also learned is that the use of time determines our productivity. Correct use of time enables us to actually succeed in our efforts to, both to be both efficient and also effective. So when you're efficient, efficiency is doing things right, right, with minimum wasted effort. And that's part of your time management. You want to be efficient. But effectiveness is doing the right things. Right? Gaining desired results, making sure that in those moments, it's not just about the efficiency, but making sure you're choosing the right tasks. The secret of successful people is that they actually shape things which others often see as uncontrollable. Oh, I had to visit those people. We had to stay there all afternoon. Successful people are like, no, I didn't have to. Right? When I do what I do, it's because I choose to do it. And the purpose of this message is to really highlight how it's possible to be in charge of your time and to actually shape its use. The skill, this particular skill is so necessary, is so necessary because this is personal management, okay? Uh, because we're going beyond the management of our time to the management of our values, the management of our priorities, right? Which in turn determine the use of our time.
Second major thing I want to explore with you, uh, and I want to ask you a specific question is, what does the Bible actually teach about time management? What does the Bible actually teach about time management? Well, the Bible states that we ought to be wise in our use of time. And we, I showed you that earlier on in Ephesians 5, 15 to 17, right? In the NKJV, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. The people who make, take opportunity of the time, people who redeem the time, these are people who are wise. People who are foolish don't use their time properly. When you don't use your time properly, you're being foolish. You're not seeing time as a gift. And it's so important that the fear of the Lord comes back to us with regards to our use of time. I still remember a time where I would pray and I would sit down and say, Lord, what's the best use of the next 30 minutes of my time? Remember, I was doing some work in my study, uh, but I was aware that my wife was eating lunch by herself. And I felt, you know what, what would a wise person do? Okay, let me go and join my wife, right? Um, <clears throat> how can I glorify God the most in the next 90 minutes? That's our mindset. Our use of time is worship unto the Lord. Um, <clears throat> the next thing the Bible teaches with regards to time management that I want to highlight, and again, it's in Ephesians 5.17, is that there's a relationship between using time productively and knowing God's will for us. Because it goes on to say, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. If you know God's will, not just his will in general, but his will for today, his will for the next two hours, his will for the next hour, right? Then you will use your time well. And that's why those who walk closely with the Lord should be using their time well. No point saying, oh, I can hear from the Lord. The Lord speaks to me so clearly, but you're foolish in your use of time. The Lord needs to then be speaking to you clearly and you should be responding and yielded to him with regards to, hey, what am I going to do next? The next thing I want to highlight that the Bible teaches about our use of time is the need does not always constitute the call. In Mark 6, verses 30 to 44, and we've taught on this before. And the apostles gathered themselves to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, come aside into a deserted place and rest a little. For there were many coming and going, and they had no opportunity even to eat. And they departed by boat into a deserted place. Okay. And who led them? Jesus led them. So sometimes the Lord Jesus can lead you away from the crowds. And the crowds saw them leaving and many knew him. And they ran together on foot there out of the cities and they went before them and came together to him. I don't know how long it took for them to get there. I'm hoping the disciples got a bit of rest. And going out, Jesus saw a large crowd, and he was moved with compassion toward them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He began to teach many things to them. <clears throat> okay, so the thing to be firm on here is your purpose. There will always be needs, but they're not all your burden to carry. And I was saying this to someone today, I was conducting a particular seminar, and I, I mentioned this to them. Right? This individual said, I realize that the thing that moves me is my generosity. I love pleasing people and helping them out. How do I balance that so that I don't become a people pleaser? Right? She said, 
And one of the things I mentioned was make sure you are more mission-minded than you are need-minded. Because when you're need-minded, you go like this way, and then this way, and then that way, meeting needs, but you might not ever get to your destination. And when you study the life of Jesus, you see that although he met so many needs along the way, he was very focused on his destination, right? The next thing I want to highlight from scripture is that our activities should ultimately be directed by the Father's will, right? In Mark chapter 1, verses 32 to 39, it says, And at evening, when the sun set, they brought all those who were diseased to him and those who had been demon-possessed. And the entire city had gathered at the door, and he healed many who were sick of different diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising up quite early in the night, he went out and went away into a deserted place. And he was praying there. And Simon and those with him searched for him. And finding him, they said to him, All are, all are seeking you. And he said to them, Let us go into the next towns so that I may proclaim there also. For that reason I came forth. And he proclaimed in their synagogues, throughout all Galilee and cast out demons. Isn't that powerful? Jesus could have just followed the crowd. Oh, where are they looking for me? Let me go. You know, that's where the life is. But he was very mission-minded. Are you mission-minded? There'll always be things that distract you. Sometimes it's useful having a default where you're just saying no, just saying no, unless something is aligned to your purpose. Remember, your ultimate accountability is to the Lord. It's not, it's not to everyone around you first, right? It's first to the Lord. Right? What we also see in scripture is that there is a time for everything. There is a time for everything. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 8. Right? And we've been called to be like the sons of Issachar who understood the times and seasons. And what's happening is a lot of people will do the right thing but at the wrong time. You know what I'm talking about, right? Um, it says, to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pull up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. I want to highlight that. Many people are trying to do the right thing, but unfortunately they're doing so at the wrong time. Wisdom is to do with knowing when to do what. Knowing what do I do next? When do I do that? When do I do the other thing? Another principle we see in scripture is that God has timing for certain things. In Galatians 4 verse 4, it says, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son. Now that is so powerful. When the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his, his son. Let me just say this about God's timing. Often God's timing involves the fulfillment of certain things he's working in us as opposed to specific dates. And, you know, if someone says, what's a good age to get married? You know, let's rather talk about when certain things have been fulfilled. You know, have you found a job, for example, right? 
Are you in a place of emotional maturity? There's some 22-year-olds that are uh, making a living and they're very emotionally mature, right? There's some 35-year-olds that aren't doing either, right? <clears throat> Another principle I want to share with you is that we ought to conserve our energy levels by responsibly delegating certain activities. You see, um, just because something needs to be done doesn't mean it must be done by you. It's important to understand that. I think I've just seen a book title um, or, that reads something like that. It's so important to understand that. The power of delegation. One of the things I learned is that there are a lot of things that I loathe, but other people love. And there's some things I love, but other people loathe those things. I used to feel bad passing on certain admin tasks and activities to people. I used to think to myself, oh, I can't torture them with that. That must be horrible, right? Until I realized some years ago that there's certain people who love admin. I remember doing a workshop in one organization and I said, how many of you like admin? I remember two ladies from the finance and admin department said, oh, we just love it. I love going through that to-do list and just going through the paperwork and just, yeah, for me, that's really just... And I realized, okay, there are people who actually really love admin. And I remember thinking to myself, can I just take you guys wherever I go? Can I just carry around, you know, wherever I go, right? So sometimes you can pass on things to people who love doing those things. They actually feel empowered when you pass those things onto them. And sometimes when we fail to delegate, then we're robbing people of opportunities. We're failing to empower people. One of the things I've learned is that a lot of people have a zero-sum based view of power. You know that mindset of, I've got 10 units of power, you've got zero units of power. If I give you two units, you're up to two, I'm down to eight. If I give you another two, you're up to four, I'm down to six. I can't give you any more power because you'll overtake me. That's a problem a lot of people have. That's a zero-sum based view of power. Instead of thinking of what's called the reciprocal nature of power, I empower you to empower me to empower you. The more power I'm giving away, the more powerful I become because I'm surrounded by powerful people, right? We need to understand power that way and we need to empower people around us. In Exodus 18, verse 17 to 14, this is about redeeming the time, isn't it? And Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you do is not good. You will surely wear away both you and this people that are with you. For this thing is too heavy for you. This is a message for some of you. Because the way you're using your time is not wise and you're going to wear out, okay? For this thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to perform it alone. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel and God will be with you. You be for the people toward God that you may bring the causes to God and you shall teach them ordinances and laws and shall make them know the way in which they must walk and the work that they must do. And you shall look out of all the people, able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating unjust gain, and place them, right? Place them, give them responsibility, place, uh, and place such, such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties and rulers of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. And it shall be, Every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they shall judge and make it easier for yourself and they shall bear with you. If you will do this thing and God command you, then you shall be able to endure 
and this entire people shall also go to their place in peace. And Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. So what are you doing that God has been asking you to actually delegate? What are you doing that by continuing to do that particular thing, you're disempowering someone else? What are you still doing that you loathe, but that thing is actually loved by others around you? These are important questions. The next thing I want to highlight from scripture is that we should not take the time that we've been given for granted. We shouldn't take it for granted. We should be super grateful. In the book of Psalms 90 verse 12, it says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The people who are wise in the use of time very often are people who are appreciative of the life they have. Lord, thank you that you woke us up this morning. Thank you for the gift of today. Then we will use it wisely. We don't just roll out of bed, right? Then we're unproductive. The book of Psalms 39 verse 4, it says, Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. In other words, let me maximize. I want to maximize because I know that I'm not going to be here forever. And that's where we have the mindset where we're saying, you know what, let me live a life that's driven by eternity. The next thing I want to highlight that we see in scripture is that we must all give an account, right? We must all give an account of how we used our time on earth. And this is crucial. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive the things done through the body according to that which he has done, whether good or bad. In Romans 14, verse 10 to 12, it says, But why do you judge your brother? Or also, why do you despise your brother? For all shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Right? So then each one of us will give account concerning himself to God. We cannot live anyhow. You see, a lot of people talk about time management in a very practical way, which is awesome. And there's so many wonderful tools. But before I go there, I just want to highlight the fear of the Lord, that it's actually more to do with giving an account. We, I'm accountable for how fruitful I was today. I'm accountable for my fruitfulness, right? May the fear of the Lord come to us with regards to our use of this precious gift of time. One of the things you can do as an activity is to study uh, Genesis 41, 25 to 57, right? And that's the account of Joseph and what he was doing as a leader in Egypt. Just try to identify where there are various time management and personal management principles, principles such as goal setting, priorities, delegation, uh, scheduling, deadlines, and lists, okay? Those are important principles, and we see these in Scripture. You see, sometimes we look at people like Daniel, we look at people like Moses, we look at people like Joseph, and we forget to actually study how they manage their time. So, what are some common time wasters? What are those things that rob you of your time? You know, research has found that uh, some top time wasters are the following. Telephone interruptions. So just switch your phone off. Have periods where your phone is switched off, all right? 
drop-in visitors, meetings, both scheduled meetings and unscheduled meetings. It's amazing when it comes to meetings, isn't it? When I teach on managing meetings, it's like one of the things that always comes up is that uh, one of the biggest time wasters at work is unnecessary meetings or meetings that take way longer than they're supposed to take or meetings where people come unprepared, right? But we still have the meeting anyway, but it was a waste of time. Or meetings where they start so late and so you spend a lot of time just waiting to start a meeting. If you add up all the time you spent this week just waiting for a meeting to start, you'll be frightened by what you discover in terms of how long you spent just waiting in total. All right? What about crises? There are times when people come to you and they're actually quite disorganized, but it becomes your crisis. And sometimes you have to say to some people, a crisis, uh, your disorganization does not equate to a crisis for me. Okay? It's a boundary. Lack of clear goals and supporting plans. That's a big time waster. Lack of objectives, priorities, and deadlines. Big time waster. Cluttered desk and personal disorganization. You know, looking for things. Think of the amount of time you spend looking for things. That's why I always say to my family, guys, there must, be, there must never be a temporary landing space for anything, okay? Everything has its place. Your keys have the place. The only reason we end up saying, I'm looking for my keys, I'm looking for my keys, is because we put them in a temporary landing spot and we've now forgotten where we put them, right? Everything must have a place. <clears throat> Ineffective delegation and involvement in routine and detailed administration or bureaucracy. That's a time waster. Attempting too much at once and unrealistic time estimates okay and with attempting too much at once often it's the myth of multitasking isn't it you're doing too many things at once and it actually slows you down right confused responsibility and authority and then you end up crossing certain lines i see some people who try to rescue their bosses you know those people they're making decisions on behalf of their boss they're trying to rescue their boss from this situation no your job isn't to make all their decisions for them your job is to warn them about the consequences of their decisions okay just be clear about where do i end and where does the next person begin okay um inadequate and inaccurate or delayed information indecision and procrastination, the inability to say no, lack of control, standards and progress reports, fatigue, lack of self-discipline. Remember, I always say that, what is self-discipline? It's following through with what you've pre-decided is best for you to do, despite your emotional state at the time. That's discipline. Okay. Uh, so this list was created by Dr. R. Um, Alec McKenzie from the response of managers in 14 countries over eight years. And the vast majority of these managers were employed in corporate organizations. Now, typically what I've just shared with you can be divided into four key groups, four key groups. The first group is lack of clear focused goals and associated result oriented plans. The second group is lack of organization, like personal organization in general. And the third group is lack of self-discipline, okay? Um, and that's just one of the effects, but also a cause of other effects. And then the fourth is outside influences. There's another category I want to highlight, and that's poor personal management skills, okay? The list that I'm going to share with you now actually illustrates some time management challenges stemming from limited 
personal management skills. The first is scheduling less important work before more important work. Right? Um, and I want to highlight this. There's an important skill that you can use and it's called eat that frog. It's called eat that frog. If I give you a live frog to eat and you're not a frog eater and I say eat this but early in the morning, right? If you eat that frog, everything else that you do for the rest of the day just seems like bliss, right? So the concept of eat that frog is do the thing you hate the most, right? Do it first. Get it out of the way. That big mountain, there's a particular organization that practiced this principle. They actually had these brass frogs on their desks and they practiced this principle and their mindset was basically, we need to be reminded that we need to eat that frog, right? And sales just went up. Sales just um, went up because they were productive and they were doing the whole eat that frog thing. I remember coaching some people around this and I'd have early morning session with someone and he said to me, it was like 7.30 in the morning, he says, Paul, I've already eaten a few frogs today. I've already eaten a few frogs. It's a powerful principle, right? So sometimes when our personal management skills are not strong, we find ourselves scheduling less important work before more important work, right? Starting a job before even thinking it through leaving jobs before they are completed, doing things that can be delegated to another person, doing things that can be delegated to modern equipment, right, or automation, doing things that actually aren't part of your real job, keeping too many, too complicated or overlapping records, handling too wide a variety of duties, failing to build barriers against interruptions, allowing conferences and discussions to wander, conducting unnecessary meetings, visits, uh, or phone calls, you know, having so many one-on-ones that you could have just grouped the people and said the same thing, chasing trivial data after the main facts are already in, paralysis of analysis, you know those people just keep refining, but they've already got all the information, they don't know when to stop, socializing at great length between tasks. So I want, to, I want to encourage you to do the following. Think about your own list of time wasters and take a few moments to just create your own time waster list. And then make a decision, a resolve that I'm going to uproot these things from my life. They're not honoring God and they're just draining me. I want to give you a few practical ways to effectively manage time. The first thing is focus on the things that give you maximum results. Okay, those are your high leverage activities. The things that you can do with minimal effort, but the impact is massive. Okay, some of you will remember when Stephen Covey spoke of the sphere of influence or circle of influence and the circle of concern. Our sphere of concern consists of all those things that we are concerned about, whilst our sphere of influence consists of those things that we can actually shape. A lot of us spend far too much time worrying about things that we can't actually influence. Instead of investing our time, right, which is a limited resource, our time, into those things we can actually influence. And this model actually encourages us to grow our sphere of influence, our circle of influence, right, to make it bigger instead of just worrying about the things that we can't control. And the matrix that I'm showing you now shows the continuum of control and concern in our lives and the resultant impact on our inner time management. And when you look at it, isn't it so powerful? Because you see that there's this continuum 
and you can see that there are things that you get very passionate about and also at the same time have lots of influence over. Well, guess what? Those are the things, those are the things that give you self-mastery. But for many of us, we will focus a lot on things that we're not actually concerned about, but we've got control over those things. And yeah, that's just routine. Other times, other times what ends up happening is we feel apathetic, lots of apathy, because we've got little control or influence over a particular thing. And at the same time, we're not even passionate about it. That's where apathy comes in. If you're extremely passionate about something, but you've got little or no influence over it, then sometimes there's deep resentment. Just examine this particular table and ask yourself, hmm, is this why I'm feeling this way about certain things? Okay, focus your energy on those things that you can change and your circle of influence ends up growing. Remember also the Pareto principle, that's the 80-20 rule, right? 20% of our activities result in 80% of our productivity. Just remember that. 20% of our activities actually result in 80% of our productivity. So what activities are you gonna focus on? The next thing I would like to encourage you to do is prioritize the big rocks in your life. Prioritize the big rocks in your life. Those who are to succeed, give the majority of their time to their priority projects. If I said to you, I would like you to fill this particular jar, fill a jar with rocks and then pebbles and then sand and then also uh, water. I want the end state to be a jar that's filled with these things. In order to get there, what do you start with? What will happen if you start with the sand? and the water. Are you going to be able to fit in the big rocks? No, you're not. So you have to start with the big rocks, then the pebbles, and then the sand flows in between, and then the water, right? And it's the same with life. What are the big rocks in your life? The things that really matter to you. Just write them down, right? Prioritize those things. And then afterwards, you can add the other things. Do you block off time to invest each week for the big rocks in your life? Do you create a routine around them? Do you place them in your schedule, right? It's so important. If you don't schedule certain things, they won't happen. Now, if you did this as a first step, could the pebbles and the sand items still get completed during your week? Of course. So for some of you, you might say, you know what, the big rocks in my life are my health. My health is very important to me because if I'm not healthy, I can't be functional and I can't be of a lot of value to the people around me. So my health is something I must prioritize, therefore I must schedule it, I must chunk time for it, okay? Uh, my family, right? Uh, my job, my career, being able to earn a living, that's important to me, right? You make a list of these things, right? Your relationship with God, where is that going to be? For me, it has to come first. Right? So before doing a whole lot of other things, I make sure that my prayer life is first. Right? Then I'm a better, better person to be around afterwards. Robert J. McKay said something so powerful. He said, the reason most major goals are not achieved is that we spend too much of our time doing second things first. In other words, we trade in the great stuff for just good stuff. We settle. You know that Jesus had some big rocks in his life and it's important that we follow his example. 
in Luke 2, 49, he said, I must be in my father's house. As a young boy, he was so aware of what he must do. You know, elsewhere he would say things like, the son of man must suffer, right? He would say things like, I must do the works of him who sent me. So what are your musts? And my question to you is, are they on your timetable? Have you scheduled them? If not, how will you be able to monitor your progress? How will you be able to look back and say, I actually did that, right? The next thing I want to highlight to you is take time out to plan your daily routine and activities. Take time to plan your week. The Oxford Dictionary defines planning as arranging or working out details beforehand, right? So time management consists of certain details. Here's some interesting quotes on the power of planning. Those who do not plan their time have decided that time, events, and circumstances will rule them. Those who plan their time and keep to it succeed. Someone said, to tell who a man's God is, see what appointments he keeps faithfully. If you keep skipping appointments, if you keep canceling those appointments, it means they're not really that important to you. Anything that is not put on a timetable is a thing that you have decided does not need to happen. Simple as that. Simple as that. The other thing to do is create to-do lists. Your list should actually define the time required for each activity. When creating these lists, remember Parkinson's law. Work expands to fill the time allotted to it. So if you say, I'll do it sometime in the afternoon, right? You might take up the whole afternoon doing that particular thing. But if you chunk your time and you say, between two o'clock and three o'clock on Thursday afternoon, I will do it. Then you will force yourself to do it within that time because your time is already chunked. After three, it's allocated to something else right? That's Parkinson's law. And that's why there's some people who work half day jobs, but they're doing a lot more work than people who work full day jobs. Why? The full day people just fill out the day. They just spread the work, same work. I remember coaching an individual in one of the big banks around this, right? They felt bad because they were working half day, but I looked at their productivity. They were literally always on the go. I believe they were doing a lot more than many people who were full-time workers. The second thing to do is list your activities in order of priority. Remember that our human tendency is to focus on the urgent at the, at the exclusion of the important, right? So list your activities in order of priority. What's most important, right? Now, in your list, highlight both the process and the result you want to achieve. You know, process goals, I've learned, are often better to focus on than result goals. So, for example, the weight you want to achieve, that's the result goal. I want to be X kgs by such and such a date, right? And that's fine, but sometimes it's not fully in your control, is it? But the process goal is, I'm going to go to gym four times a week. I'm going to eat this type of food and not this type of food. That's all within your control for the most part. And it's healthier when you focus on process goals than you say, by such and such a date, let's see what the outcome is. You see, focusing only on results might not make the quantity of workload clear, if you think about it. But if you focus on the process, you then realize, hmm, this is actually going to evolve quite a bit. I've found that in my running, what eases the pressure for me 
is when I'm not so focused and consumed on, that's the time I have to do a sub this and a sub that. I'm saying to myself, I must just trust my coaches. Let me see what's on my program. And day in, day out, let me just do it. Let me focus on the process. And then I'm going to surprise myself one day, right, by the result. The next thing is check off the completed activities. You know, as human beings, we're quite goal-orientated, aren't we? Right? You'll recognize your progress and you'll feel productive as you're just ticking off certain things. I want to encourage you to include appointments with yourself in your diary or your to-do list, not just appointments you have with other people. Often we actually disrespect our values and our priorities by only valuing activities which have to do with other people. Right? However, having some quiet time is actually an important activity to schedule into your daily routine. Even some of your leisure activities, schedule it. By the end of the day, create a new list including what you haven't been able to do. Okay? Just put it over to the following day. Next, I want to encourage you to develop stop to-do lists. Stop to-do lists. A lot of us are very good at having to-do lists. But from time to time, we need to have stop to-do lists. These are the things I'm going to stop doing because they're no longer relevant. These were things that were on my routine for last year, but this year they're not relevant. You know, often we fail to accomplish our mission because we've been distracted by many things. And often those things are good in themselves, right? So a stop to-do list actually includes those things that we simply have to stop doing in order to accomplish our mission. Right? Don't just keep adding new things to your to-do list because you are so inspired by a particular thing. Yet, if you're honest with yourself, you actually have come to a space in your life where you realize, I can't embrace my yes, the yes of my life, until I first said no to certain things. Okay? And sometimes that no involves difficult conversations. It involves saying to someone, you know what, I know I was sitting on that committee, but I don't think I can do it anymore. Okay, I'm in a different season. The next thing I want to encourage you to do is conduct a body inventory, right? Are you sleeping well? Are you eating well? What's your level of vigor? What are your energy levels like, right? Are you being honest with people and exercising healthy boundaries? If not, it might be time to just, you know, highlight that, hey, I need to actually check out my emotional health. Maybe I need to uh, get counseling, right? The next thing is practice the art of delegation. I've been emphasizing this. Are you a control freak who, stru who struggles to delegate? You know, there's some people who will say to you, Paul, I've been burnt before. Paul, I've been burnt before, never again. I've asked other people to do this, but from now onwards, I'm going to do it myself. And for some people, that's their default. The moment someone else messes up just once, they take it like, I'm going to do it. Because if I'm in control, then I know it will be done properly. And often it's rooted in pride. Other times when I say to you, so why aren't you delegating? I was burnt before, Paul. How long ago was that? Mm, it was actually 12 years ago. So can you see, because of what people did to you 12 years ago in a completely different context, you're now punishing the people who are reporting you to you today. Right? That's not great. <clears throat> Other thing I want to highlight is manage your telephone calls effectively. This is very practical, but a lot of people fail to do this, right? Determine the best time of day for your calls and just have a period that you chunk to say, I'm now just going outside and I'm just making a whole lot of calls, right? Uh, so you're in phone call mode. 
prepare information in advance. If you're going to make your telephone calls, have the info there ready, right? And then manage the length of calls. And that's why it's important to be able to cut to the chase. Sometimes if you're talking to a rambler, say to them, got you, got you, yes, mm-hmm, right? There's a way of moving people in a conversation, right? You're not rushing them, but you're trying to show them that you don't have a lot of time. Sometimes it's good to phone someone and tell them the context of the phone call, right? Often I find myself saying, okay, yeah, I'm in the middle of a seminar. I'm just in a break at the moment. I've just got a couple of minutes and then people respect the fact that your time is limited. Otherwise, some people, you know, culturally, they love to ask about everyone. So how's the wife? How are the children? And, how the, and they ask it the same way each time. And sometimes you wonder, are you asking this out of habit? Or are you asking because you really need to know, right? Another thing I want to encourage you to do to help you to manage your time is combine related meetings where possible. I remember when I first learned about managing meetings years ago, being in a situation where we realized, wait a minute, the same group that's in those meetings is the same crowd that's in those meetings. Why don't we just bring the people together? You know, we often find ourselves engaging in a series of one-on-one meetings, discussing the same thing, right? Largely due to lack of planning for a combination of these meetings. I want to encourage you, have a 10-minute rule for your meetings where you can leave if someone hasn't arrived within 10 minutes, right? That's important. If they haven't arrived within 10 minutes, they haven't called you or anything, you can leave. Then I want to encourage you to chunk your time. This is one of the biggest, biggest, biggest things that has affected my life positively, right? This is where you divide your time into 90-minute slots. It doesn't have to be 90 minutes. There's nothing sacred about that. Then you insert an activity, right, or, or two activities into each chunk, right? Your time must be allocated for, even if it's for leisure. So instead of saying, yeah, I know sometime this week I'll do such and such, slot it in. Say, you know what, Thursday afternoon between two and three, that's my time for doing that. You've given it a slot, so it's more likely to happen. If you say, yeah, in the next couple of days, I need to go to such and such a place. See, a lot of people say that because they don't want to commit themselves. They don't want to commit themselves because they want, you know, uh, some wriggle room, right? So they don't have to do it. Then they procrastinate. And before, it takes them weeks before they get around to doing the particular thing, right? And one of the final things I want to share with you is overcome procrastination overcome procrastination. I want to give you some tools as I land this message on how to overcome procrastination. There are a number of reasons why people procrastinate ranging from perfectionism, you know, where you're waiting for that perfect time when you can't, when you, when you can end up doing it perfectly, right? Um, sometimes we procrastinate just because of sheer laziness. We're actually just lazy. Now, regardless of the cause, it's so useful to embrace specific habits which help you to destroy procrastination. And here are some of the habits. The first thing is give yourself a deadline. Give yourself a deadline. Just remember that moderate pressure motivates whilst extreme pressure debilitates. So just give yourself a deadline, right? The second thing is don't avoid difficult problems or situations. Just confront them. Right? Practice that, eat that frog, I'm going to face it. Right? Sometimes it's actually better to deal with those things first so that you can actually look forward to the easy ones. And that's the concept of eat that frog. 
The next thing to do is break up the large mountains into small manageable hills. Sometimes we procrastinate because we're actually overwhelmed. This thing is this massive mountain. We'll break it up into bite-sized chunks. The next thing is beware of perfectionism. Just get started. You can always refine things later. I see people waiting for the perfect team, waiting for the perfect recruitments to take place. Then we'll do the training, Paul. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. The next is remember that there's no perfect time to start. Okay? People who write, for example, they know that when you write a book one page at a time, um, that's when it works. Right? Instead of waiting for the perfect time when you've got uh, 200 hours, when you've got 50 hours to just write and write, it won't happen. Okay. Other thing I want to highlight is be honest with yourself about how you view the task. You see, often people will procrastinate in a passive-aggressive manner, right? Because they're actually opposed to the thing they've been asked to do. So they're hoping it will just disappear. And then what happens is it backfires on you because people then think he's lazy, he's not committed, right? But you're hoping that your boss changes their mind. You're hoping it just disappears, it just goes away. But if we actually sit down, we could have the difficult conversation where you say, I'm actually struggling with this thing I've been asked to do. I actually don't agree with the methodology, okay? The next thing to do is develop systems to help you to avoid procrastination. For example, you can set times or deadlines for responding to emails and it becomes a habit. Just say to yourself, within 12 hours of having a, a, a set time, right? Within 12 hours, right? I must have responded to all my emails, right? Um, you could even say, I've got a set time each day for responding to emails. People will manage their time while they do that. You see that they'll say to you, Paul, I've got three times a day where I'm just doing my emails. You become more productive as opposed to you just always trying to respond to your emails real time and so on. Like everything is urgent. Hurry sickness, you know? The sky won't fall. The sky won't fall, right? Uh, you can make a, make a decision, for example, and this is a powerful system, don't pick up paperwork more than once, but make a decision the first time you see it. What am I going to do? Am I throwing it away? Am I going to respond to the people? What am I going to do with this? Otherwise, things will just build up and build up and build up. I want to encourage you to seek God's face and ask him to assist you in your use of time. Remember, how we use our time will determine our fruitfulness and glorify God. Our use of time is an act of worship unto the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that successful people use their time well. Father, you know the gaps, cracks, and leakages in how we use our time. And I pray, Father, that you will help us, that your grace comes upon us, that you would assist us, Father, in our use of time. We ask, Lord, that you would activate us and quantum leap us into our next level of productivity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. May you have a productive life.